Hello and welcome to the pilot episode of Transformer Chronicles, The Marvel Years. This podcast will review and discuss the two Transformer comic book series from Marvel and Marvel UK. My name is Pat, and I'm on a crusade to read and learn more about these two Transformer comic series that I missed out on reading as a kid growing up in the 80s. But I'm not alone on this crusade. I have brought a new friend and an old friend to help me on my journey. Let me start by introducing my good friend, Delvin. My Transformers grew. So what I found out here is that when I exposed you to issue 75, which is a little bit of a ways down the road there that hooked mm-hmm. you, you were complaining about the 715 pages that that issue had, <laughs> but apparently it had a good effect on you. Then some guy who showed up insists we call him our Transformer Sherpa, Uh, That will be John. Hello, I am John. Four or five of you may recognize me from the podcast I do with my lovely wife, Maggie, married with comics. The rest of you will soon be very sick of me talking about Transformers. So I'm terrible with remembering how the heck we started. This started on a Facebook chat or something, right? And then we're like, we're going to do a podcast together. Well, ultimately, this is uh, Michael Bailey's fault. And Michael Bailey had posted about two or three years ago, why hasn't anyone done an index-style podcast about Marvel and Marvel UK Transformers comics? And I thought, that would be great. If I ever do a podcast, I would love to do that. And then completely forgot about it. And then when you guys did that G.I. Joe and the Transformers crossover, I wound up writing a really nerdy uh, email, which led to us all talking on Facebook and deciding to do this. I think it should be fun. Listening to other podcasts, I know that there are a few other in the podcasting circles that I am in. Uh, So listening to them also talk about their love for this series and how great it was sparked my interest as well, too. I was more of a G.I. Joe guy at this time, but I did watch the cartoon growing up as a kid. So maybe this might spark a a cartoon watch as well. Well, I grew up definitely uh, liking the toys. I believe the first Transformer I received was Soundwave because apparently that was just the super popular toy to get from either Sears where my mom worked or or Kmart or wherever the heck my folks wound up getting it from. And I definitely loved Soundwave and I'm sure I had some tape. I think it was Buzzsaw. Started with that and I definitely loved the toys. And I told the story a couple of times with the Long Box Crusade or Chronicles as well. But long story short, at one point I wanted to go buy a toy and my mom instead took me to the drugstore because it got late in the day and I knew there wasn't any toy there, but I knew I better not bug my mom or, you know, I might have a sore backside. So I went looking for anything I could find and sure enough, there was a comic book stand. It was Transformers 24 and that issue, Optimus Prime died. Spoiler, Pat. But don't worry, you got a couple of years to to catch up to it. You'll forget. And (laughs) and that happened. And at that point, I was completely hooked. And my mom inadvertently created a monster where I could now bug her once a month to go and take me to the grocery store or to the drugstore so I can get the next comic book because I had to find out what happened. And from there, that was history. I bought this one off the rack. Wow. I was uh, 10 years old when this was out. And I was looking at Mike's Amazing World of Comics because my mom would buy me one or two comics every now and then. And this month she bought me this one. I asked for this one. And my brother got the Marvel Tales starring Spider-Man, which reprints Amazing Spider-Man Annual 2. Coincidentally, Maggie and I are reviewing that issue on Married with Comics in probably a month. The comic was my primary interaction with the Transformers mythos. I had a few of the toys, but they were way more expensive than other toys. 
So I was probably more likely to get uh, He-Man toys than Transformers. Did you continue to get the comic then from issue number one on? Most of the time. I stopped reading it for a little while, somewhere in the uh, 30s, and then came back briefly at the end of Bob Bidiansky's run and quit almost immediately because it was just so bleak. He was getting serious burnout by the end. But then when, who took over after Bidiansky? Simon Furman. Simon Furman, thanks. Uh, When Simon Furman took back over, he'd been writing the uh, UK ones the whole time. And then he just gave it just a shot in the arm. And the series is amazing from the moment he takes over to the end. Wholeheartedly agree with that. And I like that. I like hearing, um, you know, what's to come and, and what could be or will be from you guys who have actually done this run. And we'll also be going through the Marvel UK, which I didn't know existed for a while. I, I Now that I do, I, that's interesting as well, too. Side by side happening at the same time, correct? It was, yeah. The Marvel UK imprint, it was like semi-autonomous from Marvel proper, and they would do a weekly comics that would be reprints of older Marvel ones. And they got the rights to do the Transformers reprints, but they realized they were going to run out of Transformers stories really quickly, so they got permission to write their own stories, which Simon Furman became the head writer on. And you could see the beginnings of the genius that he eventually gets to. That is consistently good for from beginning to end of it, in my opinion. I shouldn't give the impression that Bob Budiansky was bad and that it was terrible. There are some gems in the early stuff. All right, great. So I think maybe we should start talking about issue one. Why the heck not? But first, we have a uh, quick promo break starting now. The Transformers will return after these messages. Hi, John. Hi, Maggie. I'm still wrapping my brain around the fact that we're married. <laughs> Me too, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Aw. Well, hey, I was looking at these old comics and I noticed that there's Hold a Hold that thought. Why don't we talk about it on our podcast? Do we have a podcast? It seems like the logical next step. We get married. We change our names. We combine our comic collections. We start a podcast about comic books. Well, I can't fault your logic, but there are plenty of podcasts out there already. Do you really think we'll have anything new and interesting to say? Oh, I think we'll manage. Welcome to the Married with Comics podcast, where we constantly f*** up. (laughs) She goes from Marvel Girl to Phoenix to Marvel Girl to Jean Grey to Phoenix to Dead. Um... (laughs) And then apparently he's so consumed with his own thoughts that he runs right past three monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) A brainwave camera took a picture of that guy's head. A brainwave camera. And Ben's just basically, whatever you gotta do to stop the commies, Nick. So join us at the Married with Comics podcast, where two newlyweds with a love for comics intelligently, critically, and thoughtfully discuss comic books. Also listen as we goof around, make jokes, and make fun of John for mispronouncing names. I do that a lot. Sometimes we'll pick a topic and review and discuss comics that relate to the topic. And sometimes we'll pick up a comic and see what discussion topics come up. Sometimes we'll spend an entire episode talking about how much Maggie loves Batman. The only thing that's almost as strong as my love for you is my love for Batman. The Married with Comics podcast. Available directly on our site at marriedwcomics.lipson.com, on iTunes, and wherever good podcasts are found. Also, check us out at Facebook at the Married with Comics podcast. We've got everything you need. We now return to the Transformers. All right, we're back. Now, the story of Transformers is readily available elsewhere and has been told in more detail than we have time for here. I'd recommend anybody who hasn't seen it to watch the Toys That Made Us miniseries on Netflix. They have a Transformers episode which tells the whole story. But the part of it that relates to the Marvel comics, the short of it is Hasbro had acquired the rights to two Japanese toy lines and were going to make their own toy line here called the Transformers. They gave it to Marvel Comics to come up with the details as they already had very successfully done with the G.I. Joe line. 
And Jim Shooter gave it to Denny O'Neill and said, here, Denny, come up with a story. And Denny came up with something. Uh, what exactly what it was is lost to time. But Jim Shooter, who was the editor-in-chief of Marvel at the time, didn't like it, except for one thing, which was the name of the Autobot leader, Optimus Prime. So Jim failing that, found Bob Budiansky, who agreed to, over a weekend, come up with complete personalities and statistics for all of the original line of Transformers. There were, I think, 22 or 23 of them. And the result of that gets thrown into this comic. There's one thing I did find I wanted to read. Jim Shooter's little mission statement Bible of what the Transformers world should be. This was written back in 1984. It just says, Civil War rages on the planet Cybertron. Destruction is catastrophic and widespread, and yet no life is lost. None, at least in the sense that we know it. Life, for the inhabitants of Cybertron, are all machines. There is no life on Cybertron, save for mechanical, electronic creatures. As mankind is first among the organic denizens of Earth, intelligent, sentient robots are the dominant species on Cybertron. Perhaps there was once a real world upon which Cybertron was built on, into, under, and through, until no trace of the original planet can be found. But the origin of the planet is unknown lost in antiquity. Similarly, it is unknown whether the robotic life of Cybertron was originally created by some mysterious advanced alien race in the dim distant past, or whether these strange metallic beings somehow evolved from bizarre basic life forms beyond human comprehension. What is certain is that the sentient robotic beings of Cybertron are destroying one another. So as as far as something that's a mission statement for a toy property that's managed to remain pretty much intact to this day. Yeah, that's pretty uh, doggone comprehensive. I, I think so. It visualized it a lot for me. Pat, why don't you take it away as you traditionally do? Sounds good. Let's get started with Transformers number one. It is a world transformed where things are not what they seem. Hey, hold on. Wait, wait, Pat, wait. Uh, what? what? Since we're covering an 80s property, we got to go with an intro that rocks. It is a world transformed where things are not what they seem. It is the world Orbiting the star Alpha Centauri, ages ago a race of giant transforming robots inhabited the metallic planet of Cybertron, where they lived in peace in a mechanical paradise. But every Eden has a serpent, in the form of the warlike Decepticons, whose ability to transform flying war machines, weapons, and communications devices allow them to take the Autobots completely by surprise, which quickly escalates into a worldwide conflict, which very quickly has casualty rates numbering in the billions. At the forefront of the most destructive of these campaigns is the malevolent Megatron, whose massive fusion cannon lays waste to all it attacks. But the Autobots are not giving up without a fight. Under the leadership of great Optimus Prime, the Autobots hold their own. War continues for over 1,000 years, Cybertron itself being torn from its orbit by the incredible forces of the devastation. Still, the war rages on until its path approaches an asteroid field, which threatens Cybertron's existence. The Autobots decide to send Optimus Prime and a specially picked team to fly the spaceship dubbed the Ark ahead of Cybertron and blasts a safe path for the out-of-control planet. But the Decepticons catch word of the plan and see this as an opportunity to strike a crippling blow against the Autobots. Megatron selects his own small strike team to take out the Ark. In space, the Autobots succeed at their mission to clear a path through the asteroid belt. But as the Ark passes, what Optimus refers to as the lifeless third planet in the solar system they are passing through, the Decepticons attack. The Autobots, though outnumbering the Decepticons, are completely outclassed due to their firepower having been drained in clearing the asteroids. Having anticipated such an action by the Decepticons, Prime pushes a button on the console, sending into motion his plan of last resort, crashing the Ark onto the third planet, 
where it comes to rest in a volcano that will later be named Mount St. Hillary on the planet that will later be named Earth. Four million years later, the volcano erupts, exposing the wreckage of the art along with the lifeless form of the Autobots and the Decepticons. But all is not as lifeless as it initially looks. A probe is sent out to explore where it encounters and records information on what seems to it to be a world teeming with mechanical life. Flush with information, it flies back to the Ark, where the ship's brain uses the gathered information to revive, repair, and alter the alternate modes of the Transformers. The ship has suffered damage and has lost information about the war, so friend and foe alike undergo its administration. The Decepticons regroup, transform, and fly away. The Autobots take stock of their situation and view the drone's data. The Transformers have no concept of non-mechanical life, so they believe the vehicles and appliances seen are themselves alive. Elsewhere, we meet Sparkplug Witwicky and his son Buster. Sparkplug is upset that Buster has had to spend so much time after school lately, not seeing the value in his sons constantly having his nose in a book, and gives him some pretty terrible advice about it and tells him to bugger off to the movies with his friends. A small scouting team of Autobots approach the same drive-in theater that Buster is at with his friend, O, and his girlfriend, Jesse, where Bumblebee, impatiently waiting to be the first to greet an Earthling, he rear-ends Buster's car. Buster gets out to check on the driver, but finds no one in the car. Before he can process this, they are attacked by three Decepticon seeker planes, as well as Soundwave and his cassettes. Bumblebee is injured by the initial assault, but the rest of the Autobots skillfully fight the Decepticons, but in the process notice the presence of humans. Realizing that they have made a mistake in regards to the life forms of this planet, the Autobots transform to their Earth modes and return to the Ark, being forced to leave the injured Bumblebee behind. Buster struggles to stabilize the Volkswagen and enters the car. Bumblebee starts his engine and Buster guides him back to his father's garage. Sparkplug later is awakened by the sounds of Buster attempting to repair Bumblebee. He is overjoyed by the fact that his son has seemingly taken an interest in things auto repair, but Buster explains that this is no ordinary car and thinks that it may be alive. Yeah, if you excuse me, I'm gonna go <laughs> dip my tongue and, <laughs> and some alcohol. <laughs> and if you thought that was long, try reading the thing. My oh my. Let's start with our thoughts on the cover. Jonathan, take it away. All right. This thing shows the biggest Optimus Prime that you have ever seen <laughs> uh, standing up on the front right, holding his fists out as if driving a gigantic steering wheel. In his right fist is clutched the remains of what appears to be a Seeker Decepticon, and Laserbeak or Buzzsaw is flying by underneath the fist of dodging lasers shot at him by Gears, who is flying at him. They are a bit out of proportion with how we usually see inside of the issue, given that they are towering over <laughs> over, over a cityscape. Optimus Prime is Godzilla. Yes. I think Godzilla would only come up to his knee. <laughs> In the background are uh, photorealistic depictions of what are, I assume to be Spike and, or I'm sorry, Buster and Sparkplug, except Buster looks like he's about 10 or 11 years old, rather than the 17 or so he's depicted in the comics. And Sparkplug is smiling a deep grin with wrinkle lines indicating he does this a lot, which is out of character with Sparkplug's depiction inside and for the rest of his appearance. When I look at this, I have uh, my notes that this cover reminds me of an 80s movie poster. Yeah. You know, it's got that kind of painted look and just that, that montage kind of art going on with different scenes and the faces coming in the backgrounds or, or a circle and, and like a sun behind Optimus Prime and the, the light kind of beaming behind him. Yeah, all it, all it needs is like some like... Coming soon to a theater. No, I was going to say like some corny catchphrase at the bottom. Or something yeah. like in a world full of robots. And it's uh, number one in a four issue limited series. Yes. I love that. That's classic right there. It's telling you, like, hey, we're only going to be here for four issues, so you better buy it while it's here. Which it worked on me. It worked yeah. on a lot of people. It went much more than four issues, so it was an effective tactic. Well, did they know they were going to go more than four, though? No. It did sell really well. 
this was Marvel Comics at the height of their powers, you know, when Jim Shooter had the place running like a well-oiled machine to the point that they could take a chance on toy properties. Oh, this was just an intense marketing experience, just the triplica or the trifecta, I should say, of the toys, the comics and the cartoon all just hitting you in the face. And I was 10 years old when this happened. Yeah. This targeted right at me and it worked. There was just something magical about seeing the commercials of vehicles just being able to turn into robots. That was just really cool. See, I'm a big Macross Robotech fan, too, so this is kind of up my alley. Robots. Like jet fire, then. That'll always be a Robotech fighter to me. <laughs> and I always wanted that as a kid, too. Oh, man, my neighbor got that, and oh, I wanted to play. He would let me borrow it once in a while, though. So then, of course, I, I would be my Robotech time, then. <laughs> I had a Veritech model that transformed, okay. but it was missing a piece, so it I could put it together, but I couldn't turn into a robot and make it stand let's go ahead and give our ratings for this cover what's our rating scale there john so between one and ten tech specs pat what would you give this i would give this one a i'm gonna give it a seven you know it's it's the beginning Uh, it is an interesting cover and it just it brings back the feels for me so the feels of the 80s feels awesome the feels i got the feels how about you, Dylan? I'm going to give it a six. Ooh, we got to lower the bar. You always got to go one under me, Dylan. <laughs> it's not intentional. I think that, it is. That you know of. Um, yeah, exactly. It was, if I'm a kid and I see Optimus Prime on the cover, that, that's probably the main attraction of it. You know what? To not be opposed to Pat here, I'll, I'll, I'll bump it. I'll bump it to a seven because it does make its point. Optimus Prime, he is the, the main guy. And then they have the little human element in, in there as well. And uh, I even like the uh, Optimus Prime that's on the top left cover as well. I think that's a cool picture of Optimus too. So, yeah. so I, I'll give it a 7. John, what, what do you give? I'm going to give this a 9. It, it's going to get a nostalgia bump from me because it is literally the first Transformer comic I ever bought. This hit 10-year-old me right in exactly the right spot. This is my first encounter with Optimus Prime. Before that, I knew there were GoBots and Transformers, and I said, oh, so those are Transformers. I'm buying this. Now, before we give our thoughts on this issue, let's go over the creator credits for this issue. Delvin? The Transformers, issue one. The plot was by Bill Mantlo. The script was Ralph Macchio. The Macchio? Uh, yes, he is a man. He will fight for your honor. Okay. I am a man <laughs> who will fight for your honor. I'll be the hero. You've been dreaming of. Will we be Pencils by Frank Springer. Inks, Kim DeMolder. Lettering by Higgins and Parker. Coloring by Nelson Yumtov. Editor Bob Budiansky. And editor-in-chief Jim Shooter. Now, Pat, continue. So when I started to read this, looked at how many pages this was, like 26 pages of story. This is going to be a long one. So I better see if I want to kind of split it up in my reading because I started reading it that night and sometimes I'll fall asleep reading it just because I'm getting older and (laughs) I fall asleep. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, I'll break this up and, you know, read it in in quarters or something like that. So, you know, to make it make it go down easier. But what happened was I ended up reading like halfway through it because I started I got into the story. And even though it was word heavy, I thought that what they were telling me is stuff that I needed to know. So it went through the whole, you know, how Cybertron became about and how the Autobots and the Decepticons were and the fight that goes on between them. Really interesting. And that plays out for, I think, what, 11 pages or more. Just that whole background backstory there of Cybertron and the, the fight and the battle and then the arc going into space and then them being chased or being fought and all that happening. What I found interesting, too, is you have like these odd looking robots in the beginning that Decepticons were made from weapons. Then they could fly where the Autobot were more of a vehicle, motorized, you know, ground mm-hmm 
control stuff. Am I right in that? Yeah, at least initially. Yep. Yeah, because that's what kind of threw me off, too. I'm saying, okay, well, if that's the case, then why do they have, now they have planes and both sides have different stuff, but it's actually I guess that's comics or? Later on. Oh, Okay, good. Well, then something to look forward. But I like the like Optimus Prime, and he kind of looks like himself, but he transforms into something different. I thought it was weird. I'm like, oh, that's kind of odd and weird. So you said, oh, that's Optimus Prime. Why isn't he just turning into a, a you know a truck? What's happening? <laughs> and these you know the planes kind of look like planes, but they're more kind of spacier looking. And I thought they were cool though. Space like, planes, really cool. Yeah, space planes. Yeah, like Bumblebee too. He's like, oh, that's weird. Uh, like there's a picture of Optimus Prime and Bumblebee, and they're talking to who's the head guy there. He's just he's just some guy that Optimus Prime calls Sire. Yeah, like he's a know-it-all guy or can see seer or something like that. So, he was never brought uh, up again. Unless he's supposed to be like Alpha Trion or something. That'd be I a weird mean, way to... Like Alpha Trion, Pat. I don't know who that's that is. That's like yeah. the Autobot god, right? Right, John? I'm asking uh, the Sherpa here for guidance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a Sherpa into the comic books, but I think he was the kind of the gatekeeper to Vector Sigma. I believe Vector Sigma was the source of Transformers life. Okay. In- was Vector Sigma the key holder? Uh, Alpha Trion, I think, was the gate holder to Vector Sigma. There's probably and there's probably a whole bunch of people yelling at their phones right now while listening yeah, to this. Probably. And I'm just nodding along like I'm pretending like I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, we are not experts here, or at least I am not. So, And our Sherpa yeah, might be leading us right into a volcano. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, that'll at least give us new forms, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, I could be a little more buff like Delvin. I'd be super buff like Delvin. <laughs> I think you're supposed to transform into something else, not like another human. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I can be what I want to be. <laughs> So go on, Pat. Anyway, yeah. Speaking about transforming, uh, I like that uh, concept, too, where, you know, what is it, 400 years later or 4,000 years later? Four million. Million. Okay, well, a thousand billion, whatever. 46, 42, whatever it takes. (laughs) A week or so later. Yeah. Several, you know, commercial later, they show up and the volcano comes up and they, they, they resurface from the crash in the arc into that volcano. And that droid goes searching around. And I was always wondering, too, is like, why doesn't it know who the bad guys are and who the good guys are? But it kind of describes that through all the tampering or destruction that was going on. It lost certain memories, so it didn't know who. So it was just rebuilding whoever it thought it looked closer to from its scavenging around and, and taking pictures of vehicles and whatnot. Was there ever a hairdryer transformer? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Just it came to my mind. I'm like, where did they get a boombox guy? And they have, you know, different other ones. Alarm clock robot. Is there an alarm clock one? There's a camera one. Yeah, the camera guy. Okay. You had to send away for him. Yes. Oh. Yes, you did. Was it a working camera? Was it? I think maybe. Or was it more it like those? Not, those it was uh, three robots. It was Reflector. Three robots that turned into one camera. Never appears okay. in the comics, but it was on the cartoon. How many other Autobots survive? Well, as they go through this, where you even get more talk going on, as each of one of them is introducing themselves and talking big about themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I am... Huffer and I am Blaster. They're summarizing everything you would know about them if you owned them and read the back of their toy. And so it also doubles if you're just reading the issue for the first time as its character introduction as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was good, though. I mean, me not knowing a lot of certain one of these characters, like I didn't know who Sky Warps was or Thundercracker. I just always knew Starscream and his two other guys. Well, in fairness, Starscream is awesome. And, yeah. and and he's easy to remember. Very quickly, since I have it on the Transformers wiki, as of issue one, there were 18 active Autobots. There were 10 active Decepticons. Shockwave okay. was missing in action. They made right. a hint to like one of their like powerhouses being missing. That was Shockwave. Oh, okay. In two issues, there will be a slight retcon of how many Autobots survive. There may be other Autobots that are missing, even though they don't refer to them here. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, as far as they're concerned, it's four million years later, and they're aware of this. They even state at one point, I think, that it's a, there's a chance Cybertron might not exist anymore. Yeah, I'm kind of interested. Or do they start to build their own people? <laughs> These are the questions. So yeah. uh, Those questions are loaded with spoilers, so we're going to just let the 
those stories. Okay. Yes, we'll say that those are those are good questions, and we're not going to answer them. Because we don't remember. Uh, another thing I liked is that a lot of them start to call each other comrades. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's really... <laughs> Okay, I'm like, well, you know, it's the 80s, you know, I know it means friends, or, but I just like, wow, that's kind of awkward. Why did they just say, or I don't Maybe know. Maybe comrade was a Cybertronian term from back in the day, four million years ago. It kind of goes with, at least initially here, they try to depict them as being alien, that they do things a little off. So you can definitely tell by speech pattern and the way that they think and react to things that they're not humans. That's why the humans are in the story, kind of to bounce it off. Eventually, as it goes on, they basically become people and the humans become less and less important for the reader to identify with. Either that or, or Bob Budiansky was a red. <laughs> <laughs> Is Buster's friend really named O? O. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Soak up. Oh, well, you can. He doesn't last in the series long. Oh. Okay. Oh. Yeah. I was just like, really? The guy's name? Oh, you couldn't give him a name or? It's short for, oh, I won't be around for long. Why <laughs> 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 I, I decided to go to the movies with my friend so we could make up with his girlfriend the whole time. Yeah, yeah. for real. Yeah. Like, I'd be, I'd be pretty pissed. Who does that? Yeah, I'd be pretty pissed at my friend, like. Thanks for letting me see you make out with your girlfriend, jerk. Like Jesse didn't have a friend or something? Always been a good friend of mine. But lately something's changed, it ain't hard to define. Jesse's got himself a girl and I want to make her mine. And she's watching him with those eyes. And she's loving with that body, I just know it. And he's holding her. I played along with their movie charades. <laughs> they didn't buy me any popcorn or even take me to a parade. <laughs> That's rude. Anyway. <laughs> oh, anyway, I kind of like how uh, oh, Optimus, yeah, he's like describe him as being the main guy like you could critically think for war or had that strategic thinking in mind and they you know making him the opposite of megatron and putting that together is is interesting to me i found it very fun you know they're setting up the story and there has to be some conflict and megatron was almost like screw you guys and your peace <laughs> right <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i want to blow shit up <laughs> and that's all we need. Their motivations are not exactly clearly defined, but at least they have color-coded insignias so we can keep track of who the ones that want to blow everybody up are. And they have their own buildings. The meeting center for <laughs> They met in secret. Meet us in the secretly <laughs> building. building with the giant Decepticon symbol on it. They'll never figure it out, and I guess they didn't. <laughs> but that's all I got. I mean, there was a lot to intake on this first issue. So I'm hoping more action starts going. Although, I mean, it was a heavy read. Was there some action towards the end? Yeah, but really just a battle in a movie, you know, outdoor movie theater. I do like, I always like Laserbeak. I think that's a cool vehicle. Laserbeak was the bird. Yeah, I like that guy. Oh, you said vehicle, though. Back in my day, Del, when you had to use your toys and if you had Laserbeak, <laughs> it could also be a really cool looking spaceship. Gotcha. Kind of like a G-Force kind of a spaceship at the time. I had a laser beak I bought from a garage sale as a kid, and it, it was missing half of it, but I didn't care. I had laser beak. So, what do you guys think? I It was really fun to drag this out and read it again, just because as far as comics that I've read multiple times, I've probably read this comic book more than any other comic book I've ever read, just because I used to just devour this as a kid. I would take it with me on trips and things, because basically you'd read it and then read it again, and your four-hour trip was done. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of little things in here like you know you'd made the i'd noticed the same thing about as far as a bunch of secretive people they sure seem to do it right under the noses of the autobots because inside of this building with the decepticon symbol apparently is a massive factory which exists to allow them all to give them alternative modes this can't be quiet <laughs> i mean it's like hey jazz what do you think they're doing over, over there i don't know it's loud who cares <laughs> and another thing there was 
uh, one mention of something that gets abandoned for the mythos being beings of naturally occurring gears, levers, and pulleys that miraculously brought forth. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. The original it's, concept is life evolved here, but it turned into cars. Okay. It's, yeah, it's like somebody tried to explain it and then science stuff. Yeah. Then there's like, oh, just mechanical parts. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure, moving on. <laughs> yeah. They John transform, Bur- okay? Shut up. <laughs> Let's go. The plot is almost identical to the cartoon pilot with some subtle differences that I, I like in this one. I like that it's Ravage that was the spy because Ravage on his toy itself gives him an ability to, he would absorb electromagnetic things so you couldn't track him. Laserbeak was just a bird who perched places and the Autobots um, demonstrate repeatedly on Cybertron that they have really, really lousy security. But here at least it shows the Decepticons having to try. But as far as having the amount of information that they had to give you in order for the rest of this to make any sense at all, they did as good of a job as they could. I mean, they had to resort to characters talking in the third person and calling each other by name throughout. I like that he managed to just kind of pick a few of them at the end, just to give them the opportunity of just showcasing at least a little that they had different personalities. I really like the fight in the the drive through movie, just because the scene of the crowd of people just panicking and rushing away. I'm running away, yeah. It's one of those moments, I like it when you just get to grasp how freaking terrifying these Transformers would be. If you actually saw a giant robot that were just shooting at each other and changing back and forth from planes and vehicles, you would lose your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. i definitely run. There'd be somebody trying to get it on uh, Insta or Snapchat and get smushed. Didn't have that back at the time, though. That's true. If it was back then, then it'd be somebody with an enormous camcorder. <laughs> <laughs> and that man's name was Michael Bay. <laughs> One other thing I noticed on the scene where we meet Buster and, and Sparkplug, I love that after four pages of Skywarp's ready to rumble, sir, but they don't name Sparkplug. No, it's- just the WitWiki. Yeah, S WitWiki auto repairs. Also, Sparkplug, WitWiki, and my dad had different opinions about book learning. <laughs> what in the blue hell spark plug do you father a child who's coming home and studying national honors level things so we can go to college possibly out of scholarship you're like what's that gonna get you put your hands in this dirt <laughs> but you know what back in the day though like that was considered a real job you know yeah. mm-hmm. i grew up in a very small town in northern wisconsin and i knew people that would be nodding sagely along with spark plug saying book learning didn't do enough nobody any good just a real job and nothing against people that were mechanics this is a it's an incredible skill that's a trade it's an honest work but they try to do a story arc with spark plug coming around realizing that buster's okay when he reads and it just falls flat we will see it as it goes on but it just does not come across very well but i guess they felt they needed to give him some sort of motivation and his whole motivation is he wants his son to drop out of school and work for him in his garage all right yeah it's always good to limit as many opportunities as you can for your son (laughs) (laughs) why buster just didn't take the car to school already he had to come and pick it up from home yeah i guess that lets him have the car just you know go out make yeah out. to go make out with- get your nose out of that book and go make out with that girl in this car and don't come home until after three in the morning young man and bring that friend with you oh i like him <laughs> <laughs> you better make sure he's all hot and bothered after seeing you and your girlfriend make out though <laughs> uh, oh i'm gonna show him my oh 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 oh, oh. <laughs> so, John, you got anything else, man? That's all I've got for this. What have you got for us, Delvin? Not too much more, because I thought you guys were thorough in your analysis. At first, I found myself probably about halfway through this book thinking, ugh, this is long, and ugh, this isn't very well written, and it's not very well drawn either. And I had a change of heart. In issue one, let's see, 28 Autobots and Decepticons plus four humans. 32 characters that they introduced in one book. That is, that's insane. You're not supposed to be able to really do that. Good grief. That's not even a lot of moving parts. That is enough moving parts for 12 issues, much less one. One in a four-part series, no less. 
That's insane. So I, I give them a lot of credit for introducing literally the entire Transformers universe at that time on one issue. It's an impressive feat. And sure enough, they explained the backstory. They explained them crashing onto planet Earth. They explained the conflict with the humans. They explained Autobots good, Decepticons bad. It did a lot in a relatively short period of time. So I had my change of heart and was and left pretty doggone impressed by the um, book. If I had one joke to add, if Buster Witwicky were black, he never would have met any Transformer. He would have been running the hell out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I heard the, I heard a car talking. Let me see if it's all right. Nope. Mm -mm. No. It actually was a very solid story. And and as I have confessed to you two, when I pulled this issue out, because I had the issue, um, I, I can probably say I own all 80 issues of the original Transformers run. Pulled out Transformers 1, started reading it, and laughed because I had never read the book. I don't know how the heck that happened. <laughs> but I, I didn't read it. Didn't read The Son of a Gun. So I knew the story like the back of my hand at this point, but I had never read the comic book. And yeah, dense, very dense. But they did get a lot done. Pat, what do you think? How many tech specs does this get from you? Boy. This is a little tougher to do on the story than just to cover. I'm going to give it a six. It got me interested. I think I'm interested to the stories uh, and things that are beyond just from what you guys have told me, the future that holds. So maybe these four miniseries issues, hopefully it turns out all right. (laughs) How about you, Dalvin? I'm giving it an eight. Can't say I went below you there, Pat. Yeah, there you go. Like Alabama education tells me that eight is at least three more than six. Mm -hmm. Yes. I learn real good. So I do give it an eight, and it and it's mainly because of the feat I mentioned. Thirty-two characters. Thirty-two yeah. characters in a book. And you could more so than any of the movies, <laughs> pieces of crap. <laughs> Awful. But more than the movies, it, it probably took you a good solid half hour to read this very dense issue. But if I told you, like, tell me something about Optimus Prime, you can say something about him. Tell me something about Megatron. Tell me something about Ravage. Tell me something about Laserbeak. Tell me something about Bumblebee. In that short of a time, they did a very good job of defining who the characters are. So it bumps it up for me more than anything else. It gets an eight. What about you, John? I'm guessing. I know what you're going to rate it. Yeah. I'll tell you if I'm right. I will be honest with you and tell you what I think after you say it. All right. I'm going to give it a seven. Ooh, it's, it's, it's in between. It gets all the points that you were talking about for what it managed to pull off and the story and all of the things. But the inconsistency of the art in the beginning drops it a few pegs for me. That was my thought on this is the art maybe not as could be, but because you're dealing with smaller panels just to fit all these words in. Right. You know, I, I like the idea that they have, like with the people, uh, John, I think you'd mentioned it, with the people running out. And when they do show the people, they're very little. So there's not a lot of detail in the little people. You have, you know, just to show that size difference of the Autobots and Decepticons while they're, you know, while they're dealing with the humans. And a lot of the other problem was they had not yet received the visual Bible that they would eventually work off of. Very quickly, they start looking a lot more, at least in robot form, like they do on the cartoon. A lot of these look like the toys. Like, yes. Uh, Ironhide. Ironhide. And- yes. Ratchet, they look absolutely nothing like they're depicted as later. And like Bronze Face and Wind Chargers looks like the toy, which is kind of neat. Um, once we get into the UK ones, we'll see that that continues for a while there, too. I mean, it's a solid seven. What did you think I was going to rate it up? I thought you were going to go ten. Thought that you were going to wax nostalgic and give it give the number one issue a ten. I was wrong. I think that at least one of the original uh, miniseries will probably rate a 10 for me. I was just going to ask that. Is there an issue through the series that you guys will, that you remember, that you think you'd give it a 10? There's a number of them that I will. So my challenge is going to be which one is the first issue I remember reading. And at this point, I think it's going to be issue five. I'm looking forward to reading issue two and and podcasting about it uh, as much as you guys are, Hope, because seriously, I may not have read the initial four issue run. I may have just collected it and stashed it. So this is going to be interesting. All right. Let's move on to something we're going to call Hero of the Day. Ladies and gentlemen, 
was the most heroic? Whoever stood out the most to you? It doesn't have to be heroic. It could be a Decepticon. Yeah, it can be a Decepticon. Why the heck not? Are you saying like who was more than meets the eye? <laughs> yes, Pat. <laughs> who was more? Who was more than meets the eye? For my hero of the day, this issue, I pick Cliff Jumper. Because he managed to use his ability, which is mentioned on his toy, and also managed to take Starscream right out of the fight. Pat, what about you? You know, I got to go with Optimus just because they talk a lot about him and he is the leader that everyone looks up to. I'm going to pick Buster. I'm picking Buster. Buster. Yes. All right. I'm picking Buster because you have to be a crazy son of a gun to go running towards a car that talk. <laughs> it Get is. inside the car and then and figure that you need to go fix the thing, which is totally not your character at all at that point. So he went completely above and beyond to go and save Bumblebee. So I'm going to pick Buster. <laughs> right. I almost want to change my vote, but no, that is a very acceptable choice. <laughs> So we went over our uh, hero of the day, which is more than meets the eye. So we should definitely have a segment called less than meets the eye where we can just talk about a character or situation that just goes a little bit off the rails. that was less than meets the eye would be that the Ark revived Megatron and the Decepticons first and he pulls a Bond villain and was like, you know, I could absolutely destroy them right now, but (laughs) but (laughs) no, because reasons. (laughs) And then they just leave. What? You could have taken, you're the big ship. You could have taken over the Ark. They just left. No, let's wander off into the wilderness of this alien planet. No sense. None at all. None at all. John, what do you got, man? I was going to go more in terms of general physics. Cybertron. By the way, I I love that it orbits Alpha Centauri. That's only like four light years away. The fact that it gets ripped from its orbit. Yeah. It would be strong enough to rip a planet from its orbit would reduce the planet to rubble. Planet just hurtling through the universe. Like, I don't know. That seems a little bit. Cool sci-fi visual, though. Just this mechanical planet that goes cruising in. Pat, what you got, man? This Buster guy. And oh, why is he bringing this guy to the movies with him? (laughs) And he. He's going to make out with the, with, his, with his girlfriend and brings his buddy, and the buddy's complaining that he can't even see the movie. What, what's the point? Why did he need to bring his buddy? I don't know. It's, it's, it's terrible. Especially since it establishes that they charge by the head. So by bringing him, <laughs> they would have had to pay extra to get in. And and looking looking at that panel again, those two panels where uh, Jesse's got her shoes off. <laughs> shoes off. Who knows what else oh, is coming man. off? That's just, that's disrespectful. That's just wrong. That is. That is wrong. It's like you could have told him, like, sit on a roof or something. Right, <laughs> and I wonder why they called him O. Why did Why did they give him a name? He shows up again later, and I think even his dad calls him O. <laughs> well, with that, let's take another quick podcast promo break. We'll be right back. The Transformers will return after these messages. Hello. I'm Pat Sampson, and I would like to invite you to join me on my podcast, The Longbox Crusade. On this podcast, I'm reading through my 20-plus longboxes that I have stored away in my basement. On each episode, I will select a random issue from my collection and take a very highbrow, thoughtful approach to examining these truly American art forms that help to shape our popular culture. Oh, ooh, I like comics, too. Uh, can I get a comic out of my long box that syncs up with the month and year of the comic from your long box and chat about that, too? Oh, oh and video games. Can we talk about games? Or, or maybe James Bond, too. I love James Bond. <sighs> Fine. Jared Elbrick, a.k.a. the Yard Sale Artist. We can add some of your comics and enthusiasm to the show. It might help get a deeper introspection of... Did someone say James Bond? I love James Bond, and I love comics, too. I can bring a comic from my long box to sync up with you guys. I also love movies and music, even news stories that tie into the time period that match the comic books we review. Uh, 
This is what I get for inviting both the Albrecht brothers into my show. Jason, how the heck can we fit all that into my deeply intellectual review of... Well, you know what? Fine. Let's do it. Let's cram it all into one podcast. Join us on the Longbox Crusade, folks. We'll bounce around in time from issue to issue, pulled randomly from my Longboxes, and the Alpert Brothers will bring along issues with the same month and year cover date. We'll talk about the comics and the time period they come from, including... World news of that time. Top 40 music chart toppers. Movies, both good and bad. Maybe even some favorite recipes. Whatever I think is funny. We'll probably have to suffer through things that Jared thinks are funny. We'll jam it all into one pop culture extravaganza examining the comics in my longbox and the time period surrounding them. Join us for a wild ride through time on the Longbox Crusade podcast as we attempt to read them all. What's in your longbox? We now return to the Transformers. And we're back. We're going to dive right into a segment called Transformers Spotlight. So take it away, me. Cliffjumper was part of the original 1984 range of Autobot mini-vehicles, released into the original line of Transformers toys in 1984. Taken from the micro-change Japanese toy line, Cliffjumper transformed into what was supposed to be a red, though more on that in a bit, Porsche 924 Turbo. But the vehicle mode wasn't as realistic looking as other Transformers designed after actual vehicles. It was smaller and condensed together to the point that it resembles a Honda Accord or something similar. If you're familiar with the Penny Racers toys that appeared for a little while in the 80s, you have a pretty good idea as to what I'm talking about. Many fans erroneously referred to him as being the same sculpt as Bumblebee, who came out at the same time. But Bumblebee's Volkswagen Beetle mode was a different sculpt followed the same transformation scheme. The confusion probably also comes from a couple of other things. Bumblebee and Cliffjumper's colors were reversed on certain releases, a move that Hasbro apparently has admitted was meant to make the toy line look larger, meaning that you would have a red Bumblebee or a yellow Cliffjumper from time to time. The very first Transformer toy I ever had as a kid was a yellow Cliffjumper. What also didn't help matters is when Hasbro years later used old molds to make new characters, leading to Hubcap, who was a yellow cliff jumper with a different face. I have always wondered if that was a deliberate gag on Hasbro's part. Like all Transformers toys, Cliffjumper came complete with a character bio, function, allegiance, motto, and a statistics bar referred to as tech specs, or technical specification, which was a gigantic part of the toy's appeal for 10-year-old Dungeons & Dragons playing me. Interacting with these tech specs involved a rather clever packaging gimmick. Kids were instructed to use the special decoder inside to decipher your tech specs. There was a fuchsia crisscross pattern obscuring the blue line that indicated the various ratings. So overlaying a piece of clear red plastic that came in the box made the blue line much easier to see. The stat categories were strength, intelligence, speed, endurance, rank, courage, firepower, and skill, ranked on a scale of 1 to 10. Bob Bajanski was responsible for working out all of the tech specs. He did this based on the scientific method of, I kind of looked at who they were and how big they were and what kind of vehicle they turned into, and I figured, well, a jet is probably faster than a Volkswagen Beetle. The actual stats wind up being fairly meaningless because of this, but not to us as kids. We poured over and memorized them as best as we could. Now, there was no internet. You could only get this information from owning or knowing a person who owned the toy and kept the tech specs off the box, or seeing it in a store and managing to decipher it without the red plastic. This allowed us to settle various important arguments on the playground about who would win in a fight with whom and who was faster by yelling numbers at each other. And Megatron did not have a strength of 11, Randy. I checked. Nobody believed 
believed you then and nobody believes you now. It became even more meaningless as time went on when new characters like Omega Supreme, clearly meant to be more powerful than Transformers that had come before him, had stats that had to top off at 10. So his strength was 10, but so was Optimus Primes, Megatrons, and Grimlocks. And don't even get me started on how a rank scale of 1 to 10, which gives multiple characters a rank of 10, provides no useful information. And what about courage? How do you determine levels of courage? Are robots put in increasingly dangerous situations until they can't handle it anymore, and then you write down a number? Anyway, Cliff Jumper. Cliffjumper's strength is listed as 4, his intelligence is also 4, his speed is 7, his endurance is 4, his rank is 5, his courage is 10, his firepower is 7, and his skill is 10. Cliffjumper has an allegiance of Autobot. His function is warrior, and his motto is strike first, strike fast, and strike hard. More on that in just a second, but his card bio reads as follows. Let me at him is Cliffjumper's motto, despite what we just read. His eagerness and daring have no equal. He's driven by a desire to win the battle against the Decepticons. Finds Earth terrain a hindrance. One of the fastest Autobots. Often uses his speed to draw fire away from others. Shoots glass gas, which makes metal as brittle as glass. His recklessness often leads to actual blowouts in situations too dangerous for him to handle. Now, Cliffjumper was notable for having a motto listed just like all the other Transformers, but then in the first line of his biography is to list his motto as being something completely different. This gave me fits as a kid. In the Marvel comics, Cliffjumper basically only does anything in issue number one, in which he does everything that his card says that he can do. He shows up in the background or appears in various group shots later, but that's about it. In the cartoon continuity was used much more prominently and voiced by radio legend the late Casey Kasem. Cliffjumper even managed to survive the 1986 animated movie, being one of a very small set of original Transformers to do so. Cliffjumper made no additional appearances on the Transformers cartoons that followed the movie, however, due to Kasem of Lebanese descent leaving the original Transformers cartoon during production of the third season episode Thief in the Night because of its depiction of the highly stereotypical Abdul Fakadi as dictator of made-up Arab state Karbamia. And trust me, the less said about that, the better. All of this information came primarily from my foggy memory, as well as the Transformers Wiki page at tfwiki.net. Each can be a useful source of information, and each is occasionally more accurate than the other. Until next time, this has been Transformers Spotlight. Alright, that's gonna pretty much wrap up this uh, pilot episode, I think, guys. Are you glad you're taking this journey, Pat? Are you regretting everything already? No, I, I think it's a, it's going to be a lot to take in. Like Delvin said, 30-some robots just came into my mind, and now i got to remember them maybe going forward, or hopefully they kind of whittle it down. But it kind of had that with G.I. Joe as well, too, where you got new characters, new characters, new characters, new characters, new characters. But they seem to kind of you know condense it down to the guy would show up and then... That would be it, or you, you, you know, they'd just kind of be a background person for a while until it was their time to shine. So hopefully that kind of happens in this is what I've been looking for. So, and I'm looking for good stories. I'm a story guy at, at heart. So if you got a good story, I'm in it. I like art too, but I'm, I'm more for stories. I'm, I'm still on this journey. Delvin, you still with us? Of course. If for no other reason, I need to go back to my box and get two, three, and four and see if I read those something. <laughs> so next time we will cover issue number two of the four issue limited series, as well as the first story of the Transformers UK story, Man of Iron, which I have a feeling you guys are really going to get a kick out of. I've only recently uncovered this. However, Delvin, you may have seen it before. This one was reprinted in the original Transformers run at one point. I they just well, that's going to be it for this episode. We thank you for coming along with us. I want to give a big thanks to our, my other hosts here is Delvin and John for being my guides on this Chronicles series. But before we go, let's figure out where people can find you if they want to hear more of you on the interwebs or get in touch with you on the interwebs. 
Let's start with John. You can find me in a podcast I do with my wife called Married with Comics. You can search that out on Facebook or Twitter. Best way, just find us, join the group, make some comments. We just basically talk about whatever sort of comic-related stuff comes to our minds, and it's lots of fun. Very good show. Delvin, how about you? Where can people find you? Well, I am podcasting all over the Longbox Crusade Network, so I'm around there. If you go to that any podcatcher and find the Longbox Crusade. I'll probably be on one or two or all of those shows at one point or the other. But on Twitter, you can find me on at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y one nine seven seven. And I'll be happy to chat with you. Pat, where can people find you, sir? Well, like you, Devin, you can find me on the Longbox Crusade podcast that we do. Uh, we do three different shows currently right now. We have Longbox Crusade. We have Crusader Chronicles, which is kind of doing Chronicles, but through the whole entire collection of my comic collection. And then we also do Saturday Matinee Theater, which we're covering old Sherlock Holmes television series. Having a blast doing that. And we also do MI6 Rookie Agents, where we're on the On Her Majesty's Secret podcast channel doing that as well too as we're going through all the bonds with our other fellow co-hosts there of jason and jared albert you can find me on the twitters at christatos01 otherwise if you want to follow the longbox crusade it's at longbox crusade as well too and as a wise leader once said freedom is the right of all sentient beings till all are one i don't don't know what that means (laughs) oh man you got the touch Transformers Chronicles The Marvel Hears is a joint production of the Longbox Crusade and Married with Comics. This is the part of the episode where we would normally tell you all of the places that you can find these things and how to send us feedback, but it's a pilot and a lot of the things I just mentioned don't quite exist yet. For now, leave us your comments at the Longbox Crusade. All music and images used are copyright to their original copyright holders. We are not attempting to challenge or own or do anything with this. It is for entertainment purposes only. Do it your best, let it go.